Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start there. It's a good place to start. I, uh, I read an article this morning in ABC News. It was written by a young lady who had been to the Catholic Church. And her comment was she looked around and she was the only millennial there. And so she decided that she would let the church know what they should change in order to have more millennials. And she listed a number of things. Uh, what was interesting and telling about the article is that not once did it mention God or Jesus. She actually, at the end, said faith is worth fighting for, but it was a faith how she defined it, which is interesting. She didn't say, maybe young people are going somewhere else. She didn't say it's Jesus that makes a difference. She was saying, if we change how the church is presented, we might reach a younger generation, which I found interesting. The fact that it didn't, never talked about Jesus was amazing. Now understand, this is ABC News. Whoever the editor is decides what goes in there. So she was obviously writing for the editor and, and represented his or her bias, whichever the editor is. But how can you have, I mean, it's obviously the Sunday before Christmas, which is why they had the article listed. This is their take on religion. How do you do a Christmas article and not even mention Jesus? Quite amazing, huh? Matthew chapter 1. Uh... I want to get to 23, but I hate just starting there. <laughs> I'll just read 23, because I've got a whole lot to, this morning. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I think this is what Christmas is all about. This is the whole purpose. This is the, the gift. This is everything tied up into one expression, Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus sending out his disciples says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One more for right now, because I have about two dozen this morning. <laughs> Acts chapter 18. And verse 10. This is God speaking to uh, Paul in the night in a vision. Verse 9 is, do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Oops, sorry. Quite all right. <laughs> when, I, when I get behind, I'll turn around and look. Oh, that, that, was, that was Acts 18.10, but it's a nice scripture. Any of the Bible's good, right? I want you to know that we really work hard at trying to portray something of excellence and, and 
<laughs> All you have to do is listen to the preacher, you know, that's like. Being restored to God is the whole purpose of Christ's coming. God with us, that intimate relationship. Emmanuel, God with us. But it's not only the purpose, it's also the greatest gift. Now, you've always heard this, the greatest gift. God so loved that he gave his only son. But think about this. Jesus is the, the deliverer. Jeremiah 1.19 says, God with us to deliver us. Is that what it says? Did, do you have that one? <laughs> For I am with you to deliver you. I'll just look at those. They're quicker. See, it's not just that he delivered us once. But he's the deliverer who's with us. Think about that. God with us. He's the provider. Genesis 22, 14 says, says something. <laughs> and Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. He's the provider. He doesn't just provide once. How many of you have ever had an experience of God's supernatural providing something? That's wonderful. But if that's all that you ever experience, you actually have Jesus who is the provider. God with us. He's the healer. Exodus 15, 26. I'm the God who heals you. Not just once. He's the comforter, the friend who comes alongside. John 14, 16. But he's always there. God with us. That's what it's about. He's our peace. Luke 2, 14. The angels declare, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Everyone, we like to, to focus on that. You know, let's have peace on earth. How do we do that? How come we don't have peace on earth if Jesus came? A uh, Chinese philosopher named Confucius once said that in order there, for there to be peace between nations, there must be peace in the nation. In order there, for there to be peace in the nation, there must be peace in the city. In order for there to be peace in the city, there must be peace in the family. And in order for there to be peace in the family, there must be peace in the individual. And his followers said, and how do we come to peace? And he said, that I don't know. Jesus. Why is there peace on earth and goodwill toward men because people's hearts become transformed. There is no other way for there to be peace. Without transformed hearts, without God with us, there's no other way. You know this. I'm telling you what you know. I'm just leading you on to the, what I really want to say. No. <laughs> this is my excellence in professional presentation. Not only is God with us the greatest gift, but it's also the greatest threat to the plans of the devil. 
See, I want you to see that this expression, God with us, isn't the only time it occurs in the Bible. It's a theme that represents something that the writer of the gospel is tying into. Starting with Exodus, chapter three. You have it quicker than I do. And verse 12, God who called Moses says, so he said, I will certainly be with you. What a great promise. God's just called Moses to go set free his people from Egypt. And Moses is kind of saying, I can't do that. Any of you ever felt like that? God calls you to do something. And you say, I'm not prepared. I'm not equipped. I don't know. He says, ah, but I'll be with you. Joshua. I'm going to just pick a few here. There's dozens and dozens of these in the Bible. But Joshua, who takes over from Moses. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Wonderful promise. I hope you're getting the picture here. He's called them to do something amazing, but it doesn't say, go in your own strength. He said, I'll actually be with you. Judges chapter 6, story of Gideon. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Here he finds this guy hiding in the wine press, threshing grain. He was actually doing something. But into that, God calls him to say, hey, what you're doing is great for your family, but I've got a plan for you to impact the whole nation. And he says, but not me. I'm the least in my family. Of the least tribe in Israel. God says, yeah, but I'll be with you. Jeremiah, we read. Let me read it again. In the context, God speaking to Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 9. Actually, verse 19. I just thought I'd see if I could throw Kate there. She's too good. And they will fight against you, but, you, but shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. God with us. Have you ever felt like that there was an opposition? You ever felt like everything was against you? You ever have one of those days? He says, but I'm with you. Haggai, another prophet toward the end of the, the Old Testament. In chapter one, verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Chapter two, verse four. And now be strong, he's talking to Zerubbabel, and Joshua, be strong, and all you people of the land, says the Lord, for I am with you, says the Lord. My spirit remains among you. So not only is he now not talking to an individual, he's talking to the whole nation, the whole group of people. Are you kind of getting the picture? Let's go back to Matthew 28. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to absolve all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Do you see the context? Not only did Jesus come to redeem us to relationship with God, not only is he the greatest gift that we could ever receive, but he actually encourages us to be part of what he's doing and goes with us. That's why I say that I think this is the greatest promise in all of the Bible. God with us. Not what you can do, but what he can do. See, the thing is, the devil's not challenged by a baby in a manger. Yet that's the image the world tries to portray. Let's celebrate this baby in a manger. Forget the fact that he, all kinds of people are born. Right? What made him special? One, he was God, but he died and rose again and is still alive. So you can't just pick one part of it. And let me tell you, the church without Jesus is nothing. And I hope that young people don't go to a church that doesn't talk about Jesus. Devil's not even challenged by a teacher that lived 2,000 years ago. Oh, but he taught things that permeate through the, the uh, centuries. Yeah, but what he's challenged by is God with us. Matthew 16. Verse 18 says, he said to you, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are defensive. He's actually saying my church is advancing. And the very gates of hell, the strongholds of the enemy will not prevail. Why? Because we're strong and united. and No, because God is with us. Let me tell you, if you try to do it on your own, you're going to get smashed. There's this wonderful story in Acts about some people who thought they, they saw Paul uh, delivering someone who was demonized and they thought they could do that. So they figured out, okay, there's a certain ritual and if you do it the right way, and so they applied the ritual and the demons jumped all over them. Why? Because that's not in the ritual. It's in the presence of God. It's in the fact that he's with us. But see, it's not God as my servant who follows me around, or my genie who does things that, that I think he should. It's not a God who I can call on, oh, right now I need you to do this. Yes, we can call on, but he's not at our beck and call. He's the king of the universe. We actually submit to him. What hit me about the article I read is was a borderline millennial who's basically saying my observation of the whole church is based on my one experience 
in the one church where I live that basically said there were no other millennials. And so I'm telling you why there's no millennials in the church. Now think about that. They didn't do research and say, are there millennials in the church? Are there young people in other churches? She simply said, my experience is this. What she was basically saying, which is one of the problems that not just millennials have, but every person have, is that we think the world revolves around us. My experience determines what everything else should be. I went to this church in some, maybe it was an old area where all the young people moved away. I went to this church and it might have been an early morning mass, we don't know. I went to this church and there were no other millennials, so I'm gonna tell you why there's no millennials in the church at all and what the church needs to change in order to make that happen. And the idea is that I think my experience is the sum of all knowledge and everyone should listen to what I have to say. Why, why do you see ranting and raving about? <laughs> the danger is that those very people, if they do have an understanding of God, thinks he revolves around them and exists to carry their baggage rather than we exist for him. A baby in a manger, non-threatening. A risen king who rules the universe demands our allegiance. We received a gift. Let me ask you, what gift do you give to Jesus on his birthday? Do you give him your life? Do you recognize his place? Okay, here's the whole point of this. Have you experienced God with you? Have you experienced God with you? So many people have gone to church and they've experienced religion and rules and good things and good principles, but they've never experienced the presence of God. Unfortunately, the young lady who wrote the article I read has not experienced the presence of God because she defined faith as church rather than God with us. Have you experienced that? And in the midst of celebration, do you miss the whole purpose? It is about family and family is fantastic. It is about loving people and sharing and, and giving, but it's more than that. It's God with us. Let me ask you, in this holidays, will you spend some time just in his presence and say, Lord, the whole purpose is not just giving, but it's the fact that I can come to your presence. And if you've never experienced God with you, you can this morning. That's why in the midst of singing, even Christmas carols, the focus wasn't, let's just have some nice singing time. You know that the, the music and the, and the singing and the worship is not some sort of building camaraderie. Let's all sing together. It's not trying to prepare your heart so that you can hear what I'm gonna say. It's actually coming to, into the very presence of God and worshiping and adoring him. And even though while we're doing Christmas carols, we recognize the whole purpose is God's presence. So I just want to challenge you and remind you 
It's the presence of God that changes us. Moses said this. God was going to send Israelites into the promised land with an angel. And he said, if you don't go with us, don't send us. He said, it's your presence that makes us different. It's not the sincerity of our beliefs. It's not even our joyful countenance. It's God's presence that makes us different. It's his presence that heals the sick. It's his presence that sets the captives free. It's his presence that brings us into the place of peace and joy. It's his presence that makes all the difference. And if we ever forget that, we're going to be the Rotary Club, (laughs) which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Wonderful people getting together to have fellowship and accomplish goals. But that's not what we're about. We're about Jesus. Okay? I'm going to ask the guys if they'll come. We're going to finish with uh, one name. Again, I'm going to ask you if you'd stand. Here, you thought I was going to preach a long time, right? Because it was, it was Christmas, and I did. We're going to sing this song, and then we're going to be dismissed. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas, a wonderful time with your family. Mary and I have the privilege of going across to uh, Melbourne tomorrow to spend a few days with our kids and our grandkids. We have two grandsons we've never got to spend Christmas with because we moved to the States before they were born. So we're quite excited. So I'm not in any way, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not against family. I think that's wonderful. I just want to encourage you in the midst of all that, well, you have a great time. Don't forget, it's about Jesus. When we finish with this song, and uh, they'll let us know when we're finished. We have some coffee and tea outside, some goodies that some of the uh, people have made. Uh, But if you've not experienced God with you, the presence of God, we'd love to pray with you. God wants to show himself to you. Just before we get there, one last story. A friend of mine, I've told most of you this, but I want to tell you again, a friend of mine, He's now a pastor in Germany. He was actually born in Palestine. His dad was Palestinian, his mother was American. Uh, He was born there and grew up in a very negative culture and society, hated America. He decided his goal in life, he was gonna be a terrorist. He was a political terrorist, okay? Uh, Because he said he was an atheist. He went to the, the States because his mom was an American and went to university at Cal State Berkeley to learn electrical engineering so he could make bombs and kill people. But he was an atheist. So he wasn't a religious terrorist, he was a political terrorist. But while he was there, he met a Christian. And he said, no, I don't believe that stuff, I'm an atheist. He said, and his friend said to him, you're an atheist because you're a coward. He went, what? I didn't, those don't connect. He said, have you ever asked God if he exists? So let me challenge you. You ask God if he exists, he'll show himself to you. So he went home that night and so that he could ridicule the guy the next day. In his room, he said, God, if you exist, show yourself to me. And he said, over a period of time of about an hour, hour and a half, 
He went from being an atheist to knowing without question that God exists because He showed up in His room. Took him about six weeks to actually get saved because he didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know anything. But it wasn't someone convincing him, it was God. The promise. Jesus came so that God could be with us. If you've not experienced God's presence, you can this morning. And there's some folks who'd love to pray with you. When we finish this song, if you just come here to the front, there'll be some folks to pray with you. I'm not wanting to embarrass you, but I'm not trying to let you off the hook either and saying, hey, just do this at home alone. You can, but there's something about us together. But the rest of us, as we have some, some coffee and tea and fellowship, let's just remember, it's about Jesus. Thank you.